Accelerating Careers in Real Estate with Nick Carman. Brought to you by McDonald & Company. This evening, I'm sat with Chris McDermott, Chief Exec of Verb, a brand new name in commercial development, and the latest addition to the highly successful portfolio of sister companies owned by Cathexis Holdings. Now, Verb was born out of the principle of investing in emerging and high-growth sectors, focusing on high-tech assets and making a real meaningful contribution to decarboning the real estate sector. So, Chris, thank you very much for joining me today. Hi, Nick. Well, should we get started? Tell us how Chapter 1 begins. Yeah, no problem. Um, So, Chapter 1 for me uh, begins very early in in, in my life. Um, I I can't pinpoint the moment um, that I that I be first became interested in in buildings and, and physical forms and, and physical environments. Um, but I know it was from, from a very, very early age. And then as I get to maybe my memories developing around the ages of, of kind of five, six, seven, it's always been there. It's been something that's inherent in uh, in me to look at buildings, to to um, kind of step back and, 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 and admire, you know, what, what they're there to do, how they've been, designed and how they affect the spaces kind of as you as a person kind of walk and interact and 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 hang out in um so very early age really good stuff any idea as to where it came from um no not really i one of my the big influences in the early part of my life was my my uncle uncle ken um who was an architect um, we used to spend a lot of time around his house and I was always drawn to some of the model buildings he had, some of the little sculptures he had and the work that he was doing at those points in time. And he worked on a number of significant office buildings around London. Um, and on occasion, he would he would take me up to London, probably at the age of maybe nine, ten. And we would go and visit some of the sites and the buildings that, that he was working on. So that's one of my very uh, earliest memories of, of, of being interested in, in buildings. All right. And so how did, how did that interest in buildings, how did that manifest then in terms of where you chose to study and, uh, and onwards? Yeah, sure. So when, like, uh, like probably all of us, when, when we got asked to do work experience at school, um, probably the age of um, 15, 16, I asked, I asked my uncle if he could support me in that. Um, he introduced me to a, to a smaller architectural firm um, based in Grazing Road in London. Um, and they took me on for two weeks work experience and I remember it fondly albeit a little painfully that uh, for those two weeks I I sat um, tracing drawings Um, so it was you know back in um, probably the mid 90s um, thinking back now um, before digitization of of design and um, I would come in every morning um, get our new bit of tracing paper laid over a, a nicely drafted plan or elevation of, of of a building, and I would sit all day just tracing that drawing out to reproduce it. Um, so it feels quite painful looking back on it now, but um, but that was my my first kind of hands on experience of of, uh, of of working in the construction industry. It didn't put you um, off by the sounds things. <laughs> no, it didn't. It was. Uh, it, it, I think it sharpened my keen eye for detail. <laughs> so you went on to uni after this experience, but what did you study and where? Well, I had a quandary, um, a freeway quandary, um, moving from from school into university, 
Um, I at that point in time, obviously the biggest influences were architecture, so I was really keen to go into to architecture. But then I I looked at the courses at those at that period of time. It was like a seven year course, a three year, four year course, uh, or a three year plus a four year course. And uh, the idea of studying for another seven years didn't really uh, excite me. Um, so I, I looked for some alternatives. So I had this quandary of, of architecture. Um, I was keen mathematician at that point in time. Um, and the, the, uh, the engineering side of, of construction um, kind of started to become quite interesting to me as well. So I looked at the civil engineering side of, of kind of design and engineering. And then the third point in, in that conundrum was, was sport. I was um, extremely keen swimmer at that point in time. I was, uh, I was a good runner, you know, at a, a county and, and country level. And I, and I wanted to balance my education with my sport. That led me to um, Bath University and uh, you know, being swayed away from, from the architecture course there because it was seven years, I, uh, I went for the civil engineering course. I only uh, I only managed to stick it out for a year. I was fine with the maths, but um, I wasn't expecting a level of physics. And uh, when we were sitting in our lectures and we were talking about geometry, uh, like cosine and sine, and then the lecturers were starting to explain to us, well, you know, these terms and these ge- geometry terms that you've been used to are all two-dimensional terms and we're going to introduce you to the three-dimensional versions of sine and cosine and tangent and how that affects buildings and forces going through buildings at that point I really did have to kind of tap out and say that that's beyond my uh, my capability not wanting to to fail at anything I decided um, rather than stay and potentially fail I, I would look for a different route so at the end of that year, um, I decided to to leave Bath and I moved to Reading University, where I studied quantity surveying. Um, so keen keen on the maths and uh, a keen uh, budget holder in in my personal life and looking after my pocket money, I thought quantity surveying that's that's the thing for me. This is this is going to play to my strengths and interests. So we talked about the passion you've had for real estate very early on in your career, Chris. Now we're at Reading, I'm curious to ask in terms of how that experience starts to shape what might be following in your career after this period. From very early in that course, maybe three or four months in, the course by design was very close to to industry and and the large organisations in the industry. And so so in three or four months I was studying, I was introduced to three of the largest quantity surveying firms at that at that point in time, um, EC Harris, Gardner Threobald and Turner and Townsend. Um, so the, the, the course, again, you know, by design, looking back on it now, wanted us to be aware of what the industry was doing and to make that link between our day-to-day studies and how that would serve us well in our careers moving forward. So part of that interaction with industry, the, those three organisations came, came to the university and they interviewed for students that wanted to, to undertake a summer placement. Um, that, that was very appealing to me at, at that point in time. So in, in that first year, I, I interviewed to go on a summer placement. I was very fortunate to be selected um, by EC Harris to join them. I went uh, and, and, and uh, I was based in the in the London office just up by by Russell Square. Um, for the whole of the summer, I met some some great people. There were 
four or five students from from the year that that did a similar summer placement. So we had our kind of gang of people that that, that went and, and and learned what what the practical side of, of being a QS was like. Um, fortunately, at the end of that summer placement, the partner I was working for, Jerry Clahesi, in, invited us to come back the following year. So we went back at, at the end of the second year of study and did a further summer placement. And that led the end of that summer to be offered a, a permanent role with EC Harris after we graduated from, from the third year of our, of our degree. So I was very fortunate to have that hands-on experience, but also kind of shortcut the route of, of, of multiple interviews in, in the final year and really just focus on, on study. So Chris, just as I'm sort of listening to this, this is obviously someone who is interested in the built environment, you know, has, has now made steps in order to get themselves as well prepared as possible, and in many ways make that first transition into, the, into your career as smooth and as efficient as possible. I'm curious, what's driving you at this stage? You know, what were you aspiring for? I think we were fortunate at that point in time joining EC Harris. It was led by a number of charismatic entrepreneurs. Um, Richard Clare, Brian Harris was was still there at that point in time. Um, Simon Colsar. These were gentlemen that, are, that, were, that were household names in our in our industry. Being around them and being able to see how driven, how motivated, how charismatic they were, was a real motivator for me to work my way through EC Harris up to that point of partner of the business. It was a very single-minded determination to become partner of that organisation and really contribute to it at the highest level. Um, so that was my, my biggest motivation. There was a number of steps professionally that we had to walk through to achieve that. The first one, and you know, any any member of the RCS listening to this will, will understand. The first two years were fully focused on APC, proving my base level of competence um, in quantity surveying, walking through my my diary, ticking off the competencies, and and uh, ending up in the uh, the all or nothing exam in a hotel down down in Heathrow. So I was fortunate to pass a, a, the first attempt, and then the the sites. Kind of re- or the focus recalibrated on working our way through the quantity surveying job families up to associate and then on to salary partner and, and later equity partner. So I, I had a full focus at, at that point in time on, on driving through to partner. Um, I was fortunate enough to, to become an equity partner, I think it was in about 2012, two years before I went on to to leave uh, EC Harris. Now that's 10 years of your of your career uh, and obviously we know where it starts we know where it ends. I'm curious about sort of how how Chris developed during that time. If if I if I had to force your hand who would you say was the single biggest influence during that time and what did you what did you learn from them? So that's a hard hard question Nick. Um if I had to choose one I I think in general, I've uh, been very fortunate to work some, for some great line managers. And I really feel there's a huge responsibility on line managers to look after and develop their their people, to, to name just a few. You know, I mentioned Gerald Clehessy earlier, Aaron Little, Simon Patterson. These, and these are some great line managers. If I had to pick one, I would probably pick um, Aaron Little, still a partner at, at, East, at Arcadis. What I learned from Aaron was... No matter how senior 
you're never too senior to roll your sleeves up and get involved. And, and Aaron was great at that. Aaron was my boss, but he was also my best graduate resource. If I needed extra pair of hands, he would kind of put that, that badge, that title to one side and he'd pick up the scale rule and he'd, he'd measure just like the rest of us to get that cost plan out and make sure that we were meeting the demands of, of our customers. So I, if I had to pick one, it would be, uh, it would be Aaron. Okay. To come back and answer the, the second part of your question, Nick, you asked me um, what, what lesson did I most learn from, from that influence? I'd say the lesson of teamwork. Throughout my career, I've been very fortunate to be able to build a team of people with complementary skills and strengths. I'm definitely not the perfect individual. I have two or three key strengths and I have a number of areas where other team players can have a greater impact and an influence on the outcome of a goal. And what I learned from Aaron is that that need to understand how a team works and how many parts of the team you need for the team to be successful. And people that work with me will hear me say a lot, and I truly, truly believe this, that the team will always outperform the individual and that's hard for me as a person who primarily engages in individual sports because I don't want to be let down by a team. In the work environment, I think I've learned that, um, that you know, there's, there's a completely different way you need to engage to, to ensure that the best outcome is achieved. Okay. You mentioned something about... You know, from your very earliest days at E.C. Harris about being single-minded and you, you had you had well in your sights ach- achieving the, the partnership and, and equity partnership. Now, we know you, you know you achieved that, but I am curious as to whether it lived up to expectation. It's a good question. So the reason I ask is there is a real trait, isn't it? a common trait of very single-minded people, that they have this absolute laser focus on this target they can't imagine missing it, but when they do hit it, there is sometimes a feeling that it wasn't quite what they thought it was going to be. Yeah, it was. It was definitely different to how I had imagined. But there were a number of, of factors that that influenced that. Nick, within eighteen months of uh, becoming equity partner, um, the partners decided to sell the business to to Arcadis. And I was also going through some some changes in my personal life. Um, we made the decision to to start a family, my wife and I. Um, so there were there were a, a couple of factors in there. From a professional perspective, I think I'd spent ten years, eleven years working really hard to achieve this goal, and there was there was, you know, a little bit of a of a vacuum behind achieving it. Um, and you did it early, didn't you? I, I was told you were one of the youngest equity partners. Yeah, I was fortunate to be uh, to be mentioned in that way. Um, so it was, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm proud of that, but humble of, of, of that fact at the same time, Nick. So there were a number of, of factors that influenced um, their becoming equity partner, maybe not living up to to those expectations that I built over over ten years, and, and that's probably the first. I, I built this drive, this expectation of what, what equity partner meant over a long period of time. And, and it was probably unfair that it was ever going to live up to that. But at that point in time, 
we were looking as partners. We were we were deciding whether to sell the business to to Arcadis, um, which we did, and that inevitably brought changes to how EC Harris, this entrepreneurial partnership that that I joined and and, and you know given my my working career to how that company changed, and I felt as part of those changes that entrepreneurial spirit was being lost. Uh, and I didn't think in that environment I could give my best to the business and continue to perform in the same way as I had. So that led me to look for for a different challenge. I was also having reflections on the part that we play as consultants in the ecosystem of, of advisors and participants to creating built environments. I was reflecting on the part that I, I played and, and as a commercial manager, often trying to manage a, 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 a creative you know, designer from developing the design outside of budget and always kind of being the, 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 the party trying to bring them back, bring them back. And, and likewise, in, in being involved with the contractor where we were always being the party trying to um, re- reduce, the, uh, reduce the outturn cost, reduce the outturn cost. And I had this kind of conflict of wanting to drive our industry forward and... Uh, be more creative and create better spaces. And I felt um, on reflection, was I in the role where I could most influence that progression and that, uh, that improvement of our industry? Um, and that, that inevitably led to me deciding to, to move on from what was Arcadis at that point in time. We'd moved across. Um, so to move on from Arcadis and look for a, a slightly different challenge in a slightly different s- sphere or facet of of the uh, the construction industry so we've done so that's the catalyst isn't it and we're you know we're, inevitably we're going to be talking about sort of that next period of acceleration in terms of when you're learning from it how easy a transition was it for you extremely hard so i i transitioned into to a general contractor i joined a contractor called isg um, i moved into the european part of their operations to build uh, critical infrastructure across Europe. So I'd moved from a consultant to a contracting organisation. As a consultant, you are generally a trusted advisor. You're, you're trusted in, in, the, in the construction industry. You Obviously, you build trust, but you have an inherent amount of trust being independent, an independent part of the construction cycle. And then I moved to a contracting firm where, unfortunately, our industry inherently distrusts contractors. And I found, I found that a really hard transition. I had friends, colleagues that I'd worked with in, in industry for 10 years now, 11 years. And the immediate change in their level of trust towards me was really hard to, to take on board and really hard to, to evaluate uh, in, in my mind. So I, I, find it, I found it quite a hard, a hard transition, to be honest. What I was looking for at that part, point in my career and my development, I was looking for a greater understanding of how businesses ran and to be more involved in the operations of, of a business. Um, and that move to ISG absolutely fulfilled that that um that objective which um which has been fantastic and has led me kind of to have the skills that 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 I need today working um as CEO of Verb. So that's what you get out of it. What I am curious about is what ISG got out of it. 
good question. If I look back at my biggest influences on on ISG, I would point towards their customer-centric mindset. So I found myself frequently, too frequently, talking to my colleagues, asking them to stop and think, how will the customer interpret that? How will the customer use that information? Or what does the customer need from that piece of work? And what I found was I'd moved from this, from an organisation which was extremely customer-centric in terms of EC Harris, to a contractor that gave very little um, prominence or very little um, focus on what their customers really needed or how their customers would use and digest the information we were giving to them. And that led to this, you know, repeat cycle of, of, of asking my colleagues, you know, just stop, just think, how is your customer going to interpret that information? How is your customer going to use that information? And that, you know, over a period of, of, of time led me to engage more directly with the chief marketing officer who was responsible for customers and sales at ISG, a gentleman called Richard Hubbard, and talk to the then CEO of ISG, who was uh, Paul Cassell. And between the three of us, we agreed that I would move into a more central role for ISG, looking to embed a more customer-centric culture. And that required me to create and embed a strategic account program, uh, a customer experience program, and a, uh, and a a more joined up and collaborative business development program. All right. All right. That makes a lot of sense. So we've established then in terms of the motivation for joining ISG, we've established then in terms of the, the earliest sort of phases and particularly, you know, that learning curve from my point of view, you know, that I, I know what, what must be coming then is after the acceleration is a period of consolidation. And, and, and for some, that means there's a push factor then for wanting to, to make a change for a catalyst. So what was it for you, Chris? Having been drawn into the centre of ISG and started to get a real understanding of how a contractor works, the pressures on contractors, day-to-day, project-to-project, and the inherent level of risk that is pushed on to contracting firms, I started to see this conflict between really excellent bodies of of knowledge and people within ISG who had great ideas and wanted to push innovation into the industry. And then on the other side, seeing that margin compression risk profile and inherent financial risk taken on by the firm was stifling their ability to invest in that innovation. And although it wasn't something I was involved in at that right right in that moment, it wasn't a, um, a you know a burning issue for me. I could see that to really push innovation and to really change our industry, a contractor can 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 push, as hard as they like but if you haven't got a client that is pulling adopting and willing to invest in those good ideas then they're inevitably going to fall to the wayside so i i i kind of made that connection 
quite early and going back to kind of my core principles why did I join the construction industry why am I interested in in the industry I decided that um rather than wait you know wait that out for for uh, you know a few more years I'd proactively look to to make a change and move to to that third facet of the industry um and 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 become a, a developer where I could um, I could pull I can pull those good ideas and I can invest in those good ideas and, and innovation and, and pull them from contracting firms pull them from consultant firms and have the influence and the authority to to um, to make them happen on, on the developments that, that that we would move forward with. So. I've got the benefit of looking at in terms of sort of you know your trajectory and where and where you've spent your your time, Chris. And so we you know we know it's gone from consultant to contractor. You then you then achieve the move to um, transition from contractor to the client to the developer with Yonder, but of course that's during COVID. So I am I am curious as to you know what was the impact of COVID on on that particular spell of your career. Yeah, sure. So Yonder being a, a data center developer um, was became extremely busy through through the COVID period. My journey through through Yonder was uh, planned to be limited. The wider Cassexis ecosystem through which ISG, Yonder, Verb are all sibling companies. Um, Yonder was a stepping stone to 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 starting Verb. And as I moved into to Yonder, it was off the back of pitching the Verb business idea to Cassexis. But my, my jumping off point from, from ISG to Yonder was at, at the start of COVID um, in March 2020. So COVID actually gave me a, a, a huge opportunity and I've learned, I've learned and developed a much greater, broader range of, of business leadership skills through what was asked of me in that time. Yonder came and, and, and asked if I could support them in setting up a business in India. As part of that process, I had to reach out to the marketplace to search for a joint venture partner. Um, we had to set up that joint venture um, entity. We created an, an investment fund that sat alongside that to, to bring the investment into India. We searched for land. We responded to customer requests for proposals and progressed deal negotiations. And we built a company um, we built a local company uh, based out of Mumbai of, of up to 35 staff by the time I left at the end of last year. So it was this very broad um, involvement in in, uh, in in shaping that business and and uh, and building that business in India. Um, transferable skills that have been um, which have been invaluable in this initial year of of creating Verb. So. We've talked. I mean, we talked about sort of the trajectory now. We're building right up now to the present day. So, what was the mission when you when you first sort of conceived the idea of Verb? Good question. Um, I think my my greatest motivation is to move the narrative and engagement with occupiers of buildings from a "what do you want to build" to a "what do you want to achieve." All businesses that occupy real estate have growth, development or performance targets. And I feel many of those occupiers 
become underserved by traditional development attitudes of here's our product, we will build it for you. Where verb comes from the point of view of how does your business operate? How can your business increase its own performance? And then how do we wrap a real estate solution around you that really drives and enables that business performance improvement? So if that's the theory, how do you, Chris, then go ahead and build a business to realise that? The mission for Verb is to transform our industry. That's not unique to many organisations that, that work within the real estate sector. But the, the three areas where I believe we can, we can make the greatest change are the reapportionment of risk across the development supply chain, the removal of barriers to entry for talented people that bring fresh ideas that are often excluded from what is an antiquated industry. And the third would be to make a meaningful contribution to a net zero carbon future. We have an unwavering commitment to achieve that third, that third goal. And I think we, there are some unique circumstances around our business and the way our business is, is funded that enables us to make that claim and drive along the, the, that journey of, of contribution to, to net zero. The most common investment model in real estate is to, is to develop and flip. And we are purposefully targeting customers who are underserved by that model because we believe these customers will grow faster and bigger if they are supported by a developer, a landlord and an investor who is adopting a long-term decision-making strategy and designing long-term adaptability into that customer's facility. Most organisations are committed to building and operating real estate more sustainably, but they don't carry the expertise to know how or what to do differently. We believe traditional development models stifle, uh, don't, they don't accelerate the adoption of more sustainable materials, processes, or drive for more sustainable outcomes. We customise each property development solution to ensure total alignment with our customers' needs and the community within which their facility is located. Coupled with an investor who takes this long-term view of holding real estate in perpetuity, that gives us the ability to not fall into the one-size-fits-all category of traditional development. All right, Chris, when I was, so I was listening to that answer and whilst it is incredibly inspiring and the ambition is really, really clear there for Verb, I do wonder as the, you know, as the, as the chief exec, as the leader, as to with such big and bold ambitions, then does that then leave a lot of risk for you? you know, what if you miss it? Like many people in this position, I'm sure, 
you, you think about um, where, where's the judgment? Where, where, where's the judgment coming to? Who's going to hold you to account? Obviously, we have an investor and, and an owner to hold us to account. But the, the bigger driver for me is, is the court of, of friends and family. If I come to work and, and I feel very fortunate that I have the opportunity to, to have this level of impact in, in our industry, in, in the buildings that, that we build for communities, for friends, for colleagues, to, to not use this opportunity to at least make small steps towards what is a huge global issue, climate change, I feel if I went down the pub and I met my two best mates for a beer and, uh, and, I, couldn't, and I couldn't demonstrate to them that, that I'd use this opportunity to make a difference, then I think I'd, I'd feel extremely dissatisfied with myself. If I couldn't go home and I tried to explain to, to my seven-year-old what, what, you know, what, what I do day to day and how I'm trying to realise you know, property in, in his community, if I couldn't explain to him the things, the choices I'd made to do that in a more sustainable way, then you know I would really struggle to to, to talk to him about it at all. Um, so I think I look to to in particular to friends and family to find that motivation to even if it's just a small step, make a small step, and then try to make those steps larger and uh, and ensure that they have a greater impact. Well. Linked to then to these these big bold sort of ambitions, you, know, you and I have been sort of chatting about how how Verb needs to needs to grow and how it's in order to to meet this, and that's gonna that's gonna mean this you know, this business is is going to go through a huge sort of scaling sort of process. But I am curious about what that means then once more then for for the chief exec and what skills you think you need now most to to develop in order to meet those ambitions. The focus growth that we're looking for over the next 12 to 18 months really is at the front end of the business. We need to bring resources into the building who can go out and be an ambassador for Verb in the marketplace. Um, They can look to engage customers across our four sectors that we're focusing upon and can meet with our customers and demonstrate what's different about Verb and how we're going to achieve it, but make the link to how that change and the way that we are going to work and engage with the customers is going to improve their business and give them a better solution than a traditional development model. What about you, Chris? What does it? What's the? What does Verb and what does that that growth then need from you in order to be able to, to to meet those ambitions? For me personally, I think it needs me to to give a lot of my time. So those individuals who want to bring into the front end, I need to commit the time to talk them through my journey, this journey through the construction industry and why my experience have led me to where I am and why I want to achieve what I want to achieve in a very specific way. So time, commitment, and, uh, and, and I suppose constant check and balance about that we're all moving in the right direction and we are getting the... We are moving Verb forward in the marketplace in the way that we want that we want to. All right, really good, really good. Now, from this point in there, Chris, I think I'd really like to sort of to to change up a little bit. Let's let's get um, into some sort of shorter, shorter, sharper sort of questions before we wrap up. So, what I was going to ask you then is, does the same things drive Chris, who was that 
youngest equity partner for Icadis, drive Chris, the chief exec, today? I think the biggest change is, is family. I mentioned family just a, a few minutes ago. Chris, who drove to be you know, one of the youngest partners at, at Arcadis in, in such quick speed, was extremely career-focused. The Chris today has a much greater balance of friends, family and career focus. Um, so that's probably the biggest difference between then and now. And what about the drivers? Do the, dri- the same drive, drive affect you? Yeah, it, it, impact, I think, is if I had to use one word, I, I want to leave a big impact on, on, the, on our industry, on, on the buildings that, that we build, on the people that I meet. The drive to, to have impact and leave a positive impact remains uh, just as high. Okay, then. Right then, but then the next question is: We talked, we've talked a lot about about sort of, you know, what's happening with uh, about this about this scale, and, and I think right, rightly so because it is it is going to be seismic for everyone involved, and hopefully then for the industry as well. If you if you had a chance, if you, you know, if we had to have a, have a sort of a scorebook out in terms of, sort of the skills you've got at the moment, what would you say has been the most important lesson that you think you are still learning? The biggest lesson we've learned is humility. We're constantly talking to new organisations, to new people, new geographies in new sectors. And there's a tendency to go with an attitude of, of, of we know best. And actually what we've learned and what we need to continue to maintain high is, is the humility side of those engagements. Um, lots of questions, um, very high inquisitive kind of nature to really understand those customers, their, their journey and what their businesses really need from a development solution. Right, well, Chris, well, I'm sorry, we've got to wrap these things up, but you've told me not only an incredible sort of story uh, of this person uh, who has achieved a tremendous amount, but also then giving us a clue in terms of what's what's coming down the, uh, down the road for, for the industry as a whole. So, Chris, thank you so much for sharing that with us. I have no doubt people uh, sat back listening to this will have been inspired and will be watching with real interest. So thanks again. No problem, Nick. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for your time.